Located in the beautiful city of Philadelphia, a Star Wars podcast emerges from hyperspace. My name is Sean, and MRC Tech presents The Last Podcast. Welcome to Episode 4, everyone, and happy 4th of July. We are recording live on July 7th, 2019 at 10.44 p.m., hoping to bring this episode to you in a few days. Leading off our news story, Daisy Ridley has been on a press conference for her new movie, Ophelia. As you know, Daisy Ridley plays Ray, last name unknown, in the sequel trilogy, Saga. And some of the news stories that Daisy has been in has been bringing a lot of questions to the surface. So, for example, in USA Today by Patrick Ryan, Daisy Ridley wasn't surprised fans hated The Last Jedi. She teases an emotional Star Wars ending. So, she's doing this press release, and there's definitely questions for Ophelia, but I'm going to kind of skip over those and get right into some Star Wars questions. So the question is, The Force Awakens was a familiar, fun reintroduction to the Star Wars universe, while The Last Jedi was a darker, riskier installment. How does The Rise of Skywalker compare? Ridley says, Genre-wise, it's different from the other two, which will become clear when the film comes out. It's quite emotional. There's a different drive than the previous two films, but there's a lot of fun. I really missed John during the last one, but we're back together, and now Oscar is part of it. To me, it felt like the kids going on an adventure. The next question. There's been an intense obsession with Ray's parents, and many fans were dissatisfied when they were revealed to be nobodies in The Last Jedi. Is there more to their story in the new film? She responds... Director J.J. Abrams did say the question is answered, so at the end of the film, you do know what the dealio is. People lost their minds for Ray's backflip over a TIE fighter in the Rise of Skywalker trailer. How much of that was actually you? Ridley says, I had learned a version of it, but there was a risk of breaking ankles, so I couldn't do the full thing. But there's a bit of me in the film where you see me upside down. It's funny because I did 95% of my stunts, and that's the, that's the one thing I didn't fully do. People are like, oh, that's so cool, and I'm like, ugh. Question four. Are there any episode nine fan theories that you find particularly amusing? Ridley says, I haven't seen much this time, but last time I found it pretty hilarious because people were talking about time travel and that Kylo Ren was a baby. It was nuts. The one thing with Skywalker was my agent sunset. I bet I bet you the title is going to be blue. And I was like, how'd you know that? Final question. Writer-director Ryan Johnson received a ton of backlash online after The Last Jedi, with many fans petitioning to remake the film and redeem Luke Skywalker's character. Were you surprised at all by the controversy? Ridley says, I wasn't surprised, no. It's just a different thing. Everyone's going to have an opinion now anyway on the internet. But I also think it's fair. If people hold something incredibly dear and think they know how it should be and it's not like that, it's fair for people to think they were done wrong. It doesn't mean that they were, ultimately. Ryan's a filmmaker, and one person can't dictate how a film is supposed to be. But freedom of expression, sure. Now, it's an interesting article in USA Today, an interview, because, honestly, Daisy Ridley is a ghost on the Internet. She does uh, no longer is on social media after The Force Awakens debuted. 
uh, when The Last Jedi was out, she really wasn't a presence. I believe she deleted all of her social media accounts. So it's nice to see her out and about promoting her new movie, Ophelia, uh, a Hamlet spin on the classic Shakespeare tale. And it's nice to see that, you know, she's doing okay because there's a lot of pressure in this Star Wars fandom to get this last movie right. Following up that article and segueing to social media, Star Wars actor Daisy Ridley said she will never return to social media. By David Mack on BuzzFeed, Star Wars actor Daisy Ridley is vowing never to return to social media, saying her use of Instagram and Facebook is forever cut off like a Skywalker limb. After she was first cast as Rey in the Star Wars films in 2014, Ridley said she found social media amplified critical voices who were mad that the sci-fi series was now focusing on a central woman character. I honestly think now with social media and stuff, it's great to have freedom of expression, but I do feel like people think opinions have so much weight, she told BuzzFeed. I don't really think bad vibes should have the sun shone on them, she added. Like, I don't want to read your thing. Ridley left Instagram in 2016, where she had amassed more than 2 million followers, saying at the time that she felt pressured to post on the app. Soon after, she also left Facebook. I was like, I need to post. Oh my god, it's been this many days. It's actually been kind of nice not to be on it, she said at the time. I'm 24, I have a lot of growing up to do, I have to deal with loads of stuff myself personally. For that to be projected with millions of people watching, that is like a bit of extra pressure. When Ridley made the decision in 16, the star didn't rule out returning to social media, but she told BuzzFeed News on Wednesday she's never coming back. Cut off like a Skywalker limb, she said of her relationship with social media, using a turn of phrase borrowed from interviewer Hayes Brown. Also, when I want to see what my pals are up to, you can just Google it and go to Instagram, she joked. Ridley is not the only Star Wars character to abandon social media. Kelly Marie Tran, Rose Tico, left Instagram last year after being subjected to an onslaught of racist harassment. Ridley, who has said social media is bad for people's mental health, praised Selena Gomez for making headlines last month when she said social media had been terrible for her generation because it's making people too self-involved. It's a useful platform, but it does scare me when you see young boys and girls not really aware of the news going on, Gomez said at a press conference. It's selfish. I don't want to say selfish. That's rude, but it's dangerous for sure. Selena Gomez, she put it better than I did, said Ridley. It's dangerous. Ridley said she believes social media could be useful, especially in places where terrible things are happening and they're cutting off information. It's great in that respect for people who are in serious and dire situations to be able to be communicating, but for the most part, I think no no, no. I know we're getting a little bit of heavy stuff right now in the beginning of episode four, but I think it's important to remember that social media is a monster that really can't be controlled. So surf lightly, don't take it seriously, and if you are on Twitter, you can mute things, you can skip things, you can block people. You do not have to be subjected to any abuse, and Daisy Ridley has removed herself from all social media. In the final article of Daisy Ridley, her character reportedly will return in the next Star Wars trilogy. Now, according to Christian Bone of We Got This Covered, 
The Last Jedi's Ryan Johnson and Game of Thrones creator David Benioff and D.B. Weiss are working on their own trilogies and we're hearing one of them will bring back some of the characters from the Force Awakens era. So you can file this under rumor. We got this covered has been informed that Daisy Ridley's Rey will have a role in one of these trilogies. She won't be a lead like she is in the current films, however, but they will play more of a supporting part. This sounds similar to how the cast of the original trilogy has been used since The Force Awakens. What's more, it's possible that Boyega could reappear as Finn as well, though this seems to be less sure at this stage. What is certain is that Lucasfilm is adamant that Rey will return for more adventures. As for which trilogy she'll show up in, we haven't had this clarified as yet. But, for obvious reasons, it'll be in whichever one set in the present day. Well, the long-ago present day of Star Wars universe, that is. Of course, rumors persist that Benioff and Weiss's trilogy will be based on the Knights of the Old Republic and is intended to open a whole new era of Star Wars for the franchise to explore. If this is accurate, it'd mean that we can expect Ray to be involved with Johnson's movies. This makes sense, too, seeing as his films are expected to be geared towards a younger audience. After all, Ridley's character has a lot of recognition and popularity with the next generation of Star Wars fans. Now, this completely contradicts Greg and Sam's latest podcast and report on Daisy Ridley's uh, participation in the Star Wars universe. I have seen this back and forth on Twitter that she's not going to be involved, that she is going to be involved. But honestly, if they are to set the franchise up a la MCU, then she would certainly have to make a reappearance in some kind of movie capacity. It would only make sense. Plus, in the many interviews I've watched, her on Kimmel, her on Jimmy Fallon, uh, that she usually answers this question with, who really knows what's going to happen? So that is your Daisy Ridley News leadoff. We're happy to see her back in the public, and pretty soon they will start their presser tour for Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. Transmissions are coming in, the discussions have been had, and the questions have been answered. The question was, does the concept of time matter in Star Wars? Meaning, time that has passed in the movies, like days, hours, months, minutes. Now, M. Doc Cassini, we have talked a little bit about this. Thanks for chiming in once again. I'll go into your easy answer, and I'll leave the philosophical stuff out for this time. Uh, according to Mike, the easy answer is a story is progression of time. You have a beginning, middle, and an end. Time is a progression of the present towards an inevitable future, like a flowing river. Without time, you have no story, just nothingness. Star Wars and its universe is a story from a long, long time ago. All philosophical points aside, yes, time is important, which is why fans get upset when an event or item falls out of continuity. And I totally agree with him. One of the reasons that I brought this question up is that the concept of time in Star Wars is not exactly explained. If you think of uh, how there are different worlds in the galaxy, are we to assume that every single world runs on the same time clock? And at the same time, do, does hyperspace travel 
take less time in some routes, takes more time in some routes. It's just one of those things that I started thinking about as I was breaking down The Last Jedi, that the concept of time is ever-present in that movie. Uh, they're running out of time, they're running out of fuel, yet Rey is on an island somewhere for a few days, except the Resistance is running away, and then they're out of hyperspace, and then all of a sudden they have hours. So it's just a little bizarre. Was hyperspace happening for two days, three days, while Ray was being trained? Or is there just a, like an ever-flowing, loose river of time that is happening in these movies? It's just one of those talking points that kind of boggle my mind, but it's interesting to think about for sure. So thanks, M. Cassini, for uh, breaking my brain a little bit while we were discussing it and uh, getting into it a little bit on Instagram. So thanks. Follow M. Cassini on Instagram. Next, we have Mike Mann of Monkey Basement Productions and Riley CSW of Channel Star Wars on Twitter and YouTube. Make sure you follow, like, subscribe, and hit that bell for Channel Star Wars to hear what Mike has to say on his own platform. And as always, Mike has provided a nice audio file that we'll give a listen to now. Hello, Sean. This is your number one fan, Mike Mann. And I was sitting here thinking about your question. Um, does time matter in Star Wars? I believe it does. Um, like they've mentioned in The Last Jedi with uh, the tracker. They, they need to get the Master Codebreaker to shut the tracker off. And it'll, it'll be, once the tracker's shut off, they won't notice for one whole cycle, which they mention is six minutes long. So, yeah, I believe it matters. Uh, you know, there's obviously a time passage between episode one and two because Anakin gets older. Uh, you know, we don't know how long it takes to go, you know, to jump through hyperspace like... In a New Hope, when they leave Moss Eisley, and they jump, and they come out into an asteroid field, we don't we don't know how long it took them to get there. It could have taken them an hour, it could have taken them two hours, it could have taken them three days. We just don't know. But you know, they don't mention it a lot. But I I do believe time matters. Thanks, Mike of Monkey Basement Productions, for that audio file. Uh, I totally agree that time has to have some sort of play in the movies, in the comics, in the stories. But the real question is, you know, does Star Wars have a time problem? And the reason I bring this up is because I read this article by Brandon Zachary on CBR.com. And it basically says this. Each Star Wars film introduces new worlds, aliens, and people expanding the already massive universe that fans explore alongside the characters. But there's been one thing the franchise has had a difficulty with its inception. Time. Lucasfilm's Pablo Hidalgo recently asked on Twitter if Revenge of the Sith took place over the course of days or months. The poll was met with a pretty even split, which shows how deeply confusing time can be in the franchise. However, that question could be asked about almost all Star Wars films. So why does the franchise have so much difficulty with conveying time? Lightspeed problems. 
Revenge of the Sith should have a handy workaround for this problem. In theory, Amidala's pregnancy is a good indicator of the timeline with how far she's along, revealing how much time has passed without having to consistently... Uh, without having to constantly draw attention to it. But light years away, the war rages on while very little seems to happen on Coruscant as she goes through that pregnancy. Missions, particularly those performed by Obi-Wan, seem to happen close to when Order 66 is enacted. There's no defined timeline for these events. This indicates certain characters must have spent months doing nothing of importance before returning to carry out their missions, which happens near simultaneously with Palpatine's coup. This is complicated even more by light speed. This mechanic allows spaceships to travel around the Star Wars galaxy with ease, but because there's no easy way to tell how long that travel takes, it's left up to the review it's left up to the viewer to figure it out for themselves. It's not like movies set in the real world which are much easier to understand as we can look at the map to figure out how long a particular trip takes. We're looking at you, Game of Thrones. But in Star Wars, people can theoretically go anywhere. There's no indication of how long it'll take to travel, and that throws off the internal timeline of the film. When you have parallel plots, uh, there can be issues. Star Wars films often feature parallel plots. However, their pacing often adds to the confusion. The Imperial Pursuit of the Millennium Falcon in Empire Strikes Back is intense and fast. By the time they arrive at Cloud City, they're exhausted and running low in supplies, but the way the film is cut indicates that it's not long before Vader reveals himself. This implies it's been days, maybe weeks at most during the chase. The movie suggests that they then spent perhaps days at Cloud City before being captured. But as for Luke, his time with Yoda seems more intensive than that short time frame would allow. He's completed much of his training by the time he heads out to rescue his friends. And his plot seems to take significantly longer than his friends being chased did, even if they technically began their stories at the same time. The Last Jedi, as I said before, has an actual ticking clock in the form of the Resistance escape. Finn and Rose only have so much time to make it to the casino to get, right, to get the right person to help save their friends, so it clearly only takes around a day for their plotline to play out, but the story is told parallel to Rey's training with Luke. In her story, multiple nights pass, implying weeks may have gone by while she trains. The film never makes it clear how long Rey has been with Luke, but the juxtaposition makes it feel like it should be taking about as long as the chase. When understood that way, it seems like Rey learned everything she needed from Luke in a matter of days before heading back to save her friends at the last second. It's an inherent pacing problem within the film. No one has a watch in the final problem point. A lot of these problems could be solved by some simple additional dialogue. Take the Empire Strikes Back, for example. While training with Yoda, Luke should Luke could comment on how long he's been in Dagobah. Likewise, no one on the Star Destroyer chasing after Millennium Falcon gives any indication of how long they've been trying to hunt down the ship. This could have been solved with a single line and thus given the audience a more solid timeline to follow. There's no such line in either subplot, which means the parallel pacing throws off any clear way to tell what's happened. This could apply to other Star Wars films as well, such as The Last Jedi or even the original film. There's no indication of how long it ever takes the Millennium Falcon to make it to Alderaan. Just that it does. How long did it take for the Death Star to get into position over Yavin 4? It seems to be an immediate threat, but the Rebels have the time to plan an attack. It's a consistent problem with the pacing in these films, and it's just figuring out the timeline of events so much more confusing than it has to be. The question is, does time matter? Now that you know this information, will you look at the movies a little differently if time does matter? Or do you just watch the movie and just 
engage the storyline and not worry about time as much? Or will now this be another interfering aspect of Star Wars? And it's not just in the sequel trilogy, but there are time-pacing problems in the prequel trilogy and time-pacing problems in the original trilogy. So take a look back, let me know what you think, and send me a DM. Let's discuss this a little further. And maybe, just maybe, the Rise of Skywalker will fix, or at least attempt to fix, the pacing problem of the previous movies. As always, this podcast cannot exist without Greg and Sam on We Podcast and We Know Things, who started the We Pod Squad, a network of podcasts informing you of all the nerdy things around the universe. Leading off with Greg and Sam's We Podcast and We Know Things, all your nerdy news packed into a solid hour to two-hour podcast covering TV, film, comics, movies, and so much more. Sharing Tuesdays with the last podcast is the Ion Ryan Show. Ryan Simmons at Ion Ryan on Instagram does a great job at bringing up these little topics to talking about, especially the last episode, which involved the production history of Spider-Man. Uh, I was only aware of the Tobey Maguire Spider-Mans and up, so I was well informed of the history of the Spider-Man production, so give that a listen to learn a bit from Ion Ryan. So thanks, guys. And as always, the We Pod Squad is ever-growing, so give all the shows a like, give the shows a follow, and subscribe to We Podcast and We Know Things to stay informed on all your pop culture needs the rise of skywalker is nearly 165 days away and here is your report on the latest rise of skywalker's theories so again if you do not want to listen to anything rise of skywalker fast forward or check the description for the timestamp and move on to the next segment I wanted to point out some users on Twitter this time to give you an idea of what people are thinking about in the Rise of Skywalker. So let's start off with Jim Does a Star War at OBS Kenobes. OBS K-E-N-O-B-S. So OBS Kenobes or OBS Kenobs. I don't think there's a new order called the Skywalkers. I think the Skywalker, in quotes, is a title taken on by the chosen hero for a particular time. Rey isn't a blood Skywalker, but she earns the title, therefore continuing the line and turning the Skywalker name into a legacy. Hmm, very curious, Jim does a Star Wars. I really liked this sort of theory about the title, theory about what Ray is going to do, and the future of the Skywalker name. It sort of aligns itself that the Jedi, in quotes, will no longer be the Jedi, but the Jedi will be what's called the Skywalker. And that's very, very curious. In fact, I kind of dig it, and I like the idea. So if we dig down into this thread... You know, Rey is the Skywalker. 
And then there's a little bit of a history lesson here. In the Thrawn books, specifically Thrawn Alliance, where Thrawn is, the story of that book is that he, there's a like kind of like a double plot line going where Thrawn had dealings with Anakin Skywalker and then he also had dealings with Darth Vader. And he does realize that it's the same person, but kind of plays it cool. But he does reveal that the Chiss, who is Thrawn's people, uh, called Force users Skywalkers. So it's very interesting, that wordplay, and where that could go down the line. So I won't get too deep down to the rabbit hole, because I'd like to move on to Tim Owens at double... Oat Sven, D O U B L E O U G H T S V E N. So the Pisanans, uh, which are those creatures of the planet Pisan, they uh, kind of look squid like. Uh, the Pisanans are chattering excitedly, gesturing toward Ray. Threepio, what are they saying? Master Ray, they are calling you the Skywalker. Now, of course, this is complete conjecture, but it's really, really interesting. Will it happen? Oh, I don't know. You know, the Pisans are chattering excitedly, gesturing toward Ray. Three people, what are they saying? Master Ray, they are calling you the Skywalker. Will it actually come true? Probably not, but it's awesome to think about, right? And that was actually in response to the last Twitter uh, person, Jim Does a Star War. So it's pretty cool seeing the connections that people make on Twitter. And that's why I kind of surf the Twitter sphere to kind of find these little nuggets. And finally, in the last part of our Rise of Skywalker talk, the titles have been revealed around the world. So the following titles of the Rise of Skywalker got their release and translation around the world. Now, you can take it or leave it, but this could mean something or not. Now, when The Last Jedi was, uh, when the other titles were revealed, you know, uh, I think one of the, I forget what country, but one of the countries said that Jedi was plural, not singular. So, you know, there was a fair amount of chatter about that. But let's uh, talk about some of the titles. So one title is Skywalker, comma, Rebirth. Cool. Next, Skywalker's Rise. All right. Third one, very interesting, The Age of Skywalker. Interesting. Skywalker Rise, similar to the first one, as in Rebirth. And uh, specifically, now I don't know the flag, so I have to do a little bit of uh, digging, but I do recognize this flag. This is the Japanese flag. Their title translates to The Dawn of Skywalker. So it's very interesting, and that was provided by Star Wars Stuff at Star Wars Stuff on Twitter. Thank you very much. It's very interesting to see the different title translations, and will it mean anything? Maybe, maybe not, but it's pretty cool seeing Dawn of Skywalker, Skywalker's Rise, the Age of Skywalker, and Skywalker Rebirth. What does it mean? In 165 days, we will find out. Welcome to the Holonet Highlights, a short news segment highlighting some of the galaxy's juiciest 
news outlets, starting with the mystery of Star Wars legend Wilro Hood has finally been solved, according to io9 on Gizmodo. The character, Wilro Hood, shows up in Empire Strikes Back for merely a second, carrying what Star Wars fans believed was an ice cream maker. Well, it turns out that he's actually carrying what's called a cantono, and that is essentially a safe. So as people are evacuating the Empire Strikes Back Cloud City scene, you see Wilro Hood running in the background carrying a safe. Mystery solved. Next, the Star Wars Cassian Andor Rogue One prequel series to reportedly begin shooting soon. Mexican outlet El Sigio del Torreon noted that the actor has received the scripts for the series and that production will begin soon, in quotes. Last December, Production Weekly claimed that the series will begin shooting this October, so it's possible that the show could begin shooting even sooner. So it's very interesting to see that the Cassian Andor Rogue One series is moving forward and that is a good thing thank you comic book star wars and patrick cavanaugh for that little tidbit next lucasfilm is eyeing dave bautista for darth bane star wars show quick hits darth bane was a sith lord who created the rule of two you can look that up if you choose but basically that sets up emperor palpatine's and all his apprenticeships and how he created Darth Vader, and how there's only been two Sith, and the reason why there's two Sith is because they would kill each other, and that's how they basically became uh, extinct. So anyways, if this is true, this could be a very, very interesting series. In fact, it would start the... Well, it wouldn't start but it would certainly expand into what they now call the legends. Darth Bane is not nothing new to Star Wars fans. I don't believe I've read any books on him, but he is definitely a name that I know just because I've been involved with the Star Wars uh, galaxy for quite a bit. So Dave Bautista, is he a good fit for it? We'll see. He does okay in Guardians of the Galaxy. He's an okay actor, but does Darth Bane need to be buff? I'm not sure. Uh, people who know that the Sith Lord better than I do, maybe you can chime in and give me some feedback on that. Thanks a lot. In the next story, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge visitors auctioning stolen Disneyland items. And just like that, the scum and villainy has made its way to Oga's Cantina in Disneyland. One such example is a rare pilot assignment card for the Ride Millennium Falcon Smuggler's Run, listed at $400. So it looks like people are trying to get on that hype train and sell some things that you can easily get in Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. Another example is a listing for the Ogus Cantina Tiki Mug, a laminated menu, and assorted coasters, plus a map of the land. The mug does sell at the Cantina for 42 but the rest of the items are not meant to be removed, especially the menu. The whole set is being sold for $250. So it's very interesting how quickly the scum makes it to Disneyland and then gets it out to eBay. Thank you, The Hollywood Reporter and Ryan Parker, for that report. And finally, combining two of my greatest passions, Star Wars Legos have been announced. 
specifically Lego Star Wars A New Hope sets to be shown first at Comic-Con, according to Forbes.com and Luke Thompson. Uh, Lego is revealing two specific sets. Basically, one set is Luke and his land speeder, and the second set is Ben Kenobi's hut. Uh, I am more interested in the land speeder than I am the hut, so I'll be definitely looking to add that to my collection in the near future. And that has been Hollow Net Highlights. That's no moon. It's a breakdown. What are you talking about? <laughs> In part three of The Last Jedi Breakdown, we now have covered nearly 51 minutes and 40 seconds of the movie. Clearly, this is a several-part segment, so thanks for sticking along with me. Uh, We're ending with Luke training Rey and having her feel the Force around her Yet she goes right for the dark and does not allow it to stop her. Luke gets a little spooked and says that he will never train another Jedi again because he's seen this raw strength before, and that was in Ben Solo, and we don't know that in the movie just yet, what the relationship was, but he definitely sees something going down. So now we cut back to the resistance and their escape from the first order with the supremacy and the various star destroyers in the background and let's get this queued up and get rolling right now so again we are at the 5140 mark if you are following along at home or in the car don't watch movies while driving but that's way where we are at in the movie. So we're going to watch around 25 to 30 minutes of this or where the break seems more appropriate. So let's get rolling. So again, the First Order is, you know, um, barraging them with energy bolts. And we see... Finn and Rose heading off to Canto Bite, and, you know, there's a little bit of a mini-coup going on. But again, we have the idea of time, that we have 16 hours left. Porgs are certainly cute, but destroying the Millennium Falcon and having little babies in there. Now, this is a very interesting scene uh, with the rain. Because you got to remember that Rey has never seen this much water before in her life. She grew up on a desert planet. She doesn't really understand what's going on. But we, again, we have this force bond happening. And what was a happy moment in her being peaceful is now connected with Kylo Ren. You and I. Murderous snake. You're too late. You lost. I found Skywalker. Did he tell you what happened? The night I destroyed this temple, did he tell you why? I know everything I need to know about you. You do? Uh-huh, you do. You have that look in your eyes in the forest. 
So this dialogue suggests that they can certainly see each other, despite them being light years, uh, quotes, in light years away. And we get some very interesting pieces of information. Ray is very black and white toward Kylo Ren, like she is not on his side. Yet Kylo, you have that ambiguity of it. And then the force bond is removed. And what makes this scene interesting is that Kylo Ren has water droplets that he wipes away. So how real is this force bond? And why is it affecting them so much? So now we get our first... Uh, showing of Canto Bite, and I like the idea of Canto Bite. You know, it's it's definitely a modern take on the cantina scene in A New Hope and Maz's Castle. Um, but like we've said before, and like many people have kind of said, is the scene is sort of irrelevant when you put the storyline together. But it has great visuals. It shows the galaxy, you know, in in a different light. Uh, I did read a book called Canto Bite, which was a collection of stories, three different stories about, you know, winning and losing in Canto Bite. And uh, Finn is sort of enamored, which is curious, because again, just like Ray, he's grown up in only one environment, so he's not seen a lot. Rose, on the other hand... He's got no time for these people. Fun fact, this smaller drunk character that is putting coins into BB-8 was actually played by Mark Hamill as well. So it's a little bit of a motion capture. Uh, not much dialogue, but lots of noises and grunts. The music in this scene is very nice. And now we have uh, the depiction and the equivalent of horse racing. The Fatiers, which is fine. So again, although the scenes are sort of relevant and boring, it's pretty interesting to see, like, on the surface, it's very pompous. But as you get a little deeper, you see struggle, you see slavery, you see uh, kids being put to work. And it really shows how the First Order can affect uh, the galaxy as whole. Red 
for the shuttle, Parker. So just as Ray, I'm sorry, just as Rose and Finn are to, you know, get closer to their objective, they are stopped by the police, and we cut back to the island. And Ray is training with her staff, and I'm assuming she does this every day as part of her sort of, you know, exercise routine and people wonder why she's such a good fighter you know yeah she wasn't exactly handed her fighting skills she had to learn these on the you know the desert planet where people are trying to kill her at all times but now she ignites the lightsaber and performs the same sort of exercises again people get the idea of using a lightsaber is like a specialty weapon. Like you have to be fully trained in using a lightsaber. It's a dangerous weapon, but people need to practice. And she gets her practice here. And then you get this beautiful shot of Luke overwatching Ray as we saw in the trailer, and we were like, yes, this is awesome. And he's sort of impressed. It's very cool. <laughs> Again, I uh, sort of laughed at this part where she cuts a spire off of the cliff. It falls and crushes into one of the caretaker's carts. Again, this is a very interesting part. It's very interesting. I wonder when the information of Luke saving Darth Vader got out into the galaxy. Hmm. The scene's too good. So we're, the dozen students were assuming some of them became the Knights of Ren. Now we have our first version of the flashback. Beautiful scenes of a Jedi temple at nighttime. Planet unknown. So we have a scene that was actually first seen in The Force Awakens. But we finally get what that scene is supposed to be here. It was me. I failed. 
So Luke carries this with him, and I, that's why his character in The Last Jedi is so good. Ray is ever hopeful. And you didn't fail, Kylo. Kylo failed me. I won. Okay, we cut back to the barrage of the resistance, and we see one of the ships loses steam. Couple transports escape. So why would a pilot need to stay aboard that ship if they're just escaping? Fuel reserve is at six hours. So we have six hours to resolve this storyline. So in six hours, this Canto bite scene needs to be taken care of. Let's keep that in mind because that's going to make a difference. Finn, the fleet is running on fumes. Without a code breaker to break us on this Snoke started. What do we do? I don't know. Unless you got a thief in your pocket, our plan is shot. Introducing DJ, a morally ambiguous character that teaches Finn a few lessons in this. We're not talking about picking pockets, okay? Oh, yeah. Don't let the rapper fool you, friend. Me, I'm the first order Kudich. Go way back. I'm, I think the price is right. So naturally, they are not really interested in what he's been selling. And then he gets out of the cell pretty easily, and they're very impressed. And somehow we have BB-8. Wrecking the three guards that were playing cards or sabak or whatever. And BBA shoots coins at him in a comic relief. Which is stupid. That's just what it is. What 
What's your story, Roundy? So now we have a, an escape scene. Lock down all the exits. These scenes are just so silly. They're not my favorite. So part three of the breakdown is going to be sort of just getting through this together, folks. What did you think of the Fatiers? Did you like this scene? Did Canto Bite make sense to you? We have our first instance of Broom Kid. Now that is pretty powerful, that these little kids who know nothing but suffering are shown the, 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 the resistance symbol, which completely changes the way they think about them. Now we have the Fatier chase. Stop enjoying this. Stop enjoying this. It's a thing of note, I do not believe the police force on Canto Bite is related to the First Order at all. I think it's a private police force. So they are not to be confused with the First Order. And now we have stupid scene one of them creating chaos around the Canto Bite Casino District. trying to think of scenes that are equivalent to the silliness of what this scene is you know like what why does this scene even exist like the quickness of it reminds me of pod racing but the pod racing made more sense this is kind of just like using these creatures because they felt like using it. So, the theme of failure is so prevalent in this, you know, they, they almost get the red plum boom, they get arrested. They almost get to the ship, it blows up. Now they're continuing to be chased. Trapped. It was worth it, though. 
tear up that town, make them hurt. All right, so if we look at this scene, like the overall message of it is, you know, taking the corruptness of the galaxy and relieving some of that strain and pressure. really like the stuttering of the character. Not that I have anything against stuttering, but I just think it's an interesting choice for character. So they get away in a nice scene of plot armor, and now we're back to the island. It's nighttime, the moon is full, and we have Luke Skywalker reaching out to the Force for the first time in how many years... This must be a very scary moment for him. He's reaching out to Leia specifically, whose heart rate starts to spike. So their force connection is ever strong, similar to may I say, Ray and Kylo's. I'd rather not do this now. Yeah, me too. Why did you hate your? So now we get a very curious scene. Do you have something, a cowl or something you can put on? Why did you hate your father? Give me an honest answer. So now Ray is sort of curious well, about his story. The juxtaposition of the Canto Bite scenes and these scenes is like so apparent. Okay, now we have version two of the flashback. So that is the scene which shows the compass uh, on Ben's nightstand with his calligraphy pen. And again, it's it's there for just a second. Kill it if you have to. That's the only way to become what we're meant to be. These messages are so powerful. So now Ray 
makes her way to the darkest place on the island where she was sucked into earlier because now she wants to look for answers. So good symbolism here as she dives into the pool. And I guess my question is, is how does she know how to swim if there's no water on Jakku? Not a big deal. We're going to get past this. Her hair has changed. No longer the three bun style, but now just down regular. She stands in front of a mirror. It's all very cool and symbolic. I don't really have any interpretations of this scene other than, you know, she's seeing herself, different versions of herself, I suppose. But, like, visually, it's pretty stunning. Sound editing, it's pretty awesome. And now we have an overlay of audio, something that's happening in, in the present while this is happening in the past. So this is also something that the audience has wondered for, what, three and a half years, four years? Who is Rey? Is Rey a Skywalker? Is Rey a Kenobi? Is Rey Emperor Palpatine's bloodline? And we find out that the answer is... That Rey is Rey. So now we have, so Luke definitely felt that, right? Which is, now if he's attuned to the Force, he's definitely noticing that something's happening here. And now the experimentation of using the Force continues. It's a sort of an intimate scene, which gives some credence to the whole idea that Kylo Ren and Rey may be an item in the upcoming film. Only time will tell. But somehow, from across the stars, haha, <laughs> pun pun, hint hint, 
they are able to touch. And they're both deeply, deeply moved in this scene, with Ray slightly crying and Kylo slightly not knowing what's not going on. And they're interrupted by Luke, who destroys the hut. Kylo is gone. The bond is broken. She hits him with his staff, with her staff. Boom. Love this scene. that she calls for the lightsaber he slips falls backwards but doesn't impact because he uses the force to kind of pattern his fall and now we get the real the third version of the flashback She offers him the lightsaber again in a great symbolic gesture. And again, Luke is just defeated. Then he's our last hope. Hmm. So the Falcon leaves the island and Luke. So this is running a little long, but we can't stop if Yoda's going to be showing up. And I got to say, there was an audible gasp in the theater when this happened. I'm ending all of this. The tree, the text, the 
Jedi. I'm gonna burn it down. So he can't do it. And now we have another awesome instance of the Force with a Force ghost calling upon a lightning bolt from the sky. So we get confirmation by our friend Yoda. For you to look past a pile of old books. The sacred Jedi texts. Oh, read them, have you? Well, I paged the nurse. They were not. Yes, yes. Wisdom they held, but that library contained nothing that the girl Ray does not already possess. Again, Force Ghost interacting with real people. Theme of failure. The greatest teacher, failure is. Luke, we are what they grow beyond. That is the true burden of all masters. Mm-hmm. Now, you can't say that that scene wasn't magical. I tell you, I couldn't even break it down live just because it, it captures my attention so well. You know, we, we all, we're always searching for answers to, to the Force, answers to what is beyond. And, you know, with Yoda coming back in the sequel trilogy, you know, it, again... It ties a string to the original trilogy and the prequels and brings it all together. And sure, the Jedi have to end, but it's nothing that the the girl Rey does not already possess, you know, referencing that she does, in fact, have the books. But again, even the legend of Luke Skywalker still has lessons to learn, and I think that is the message, is that just because... You thought it was going to go this way. Doesn't mean that it has to go that way. That you have to be a little flexible. 
part three of this breakdown included scenes from Canto Bite, which could have just been removed. But what was really special was the exploration of the force bond between Kylo and Rey. How Rey's opinion of Kylo goes from murderous snake to touching and, and making a real connection. She's coming to understand the force under her own perception, which is why it was very dangerous for the Jedi Order to teach children older than two because they would have developed opinions already and then they would have used their opinions, you know. So, you know, you, there's many examples of this, Luke Skywalker being one, Count Dooku being another, you know. So things happened with, oh, Anakin Skywalker is a good one. You know, he was 10 uh, when he was started to be trained, so he, he carried on all that weight. Uh, Ray is carrying 19 years of struggle and, and strife, and she ne needs a guiding light, and she's now looking toward Kylo Ren as that guiding light. Meanwhile, Kylo Ren is looking at Ray as sort of a beacon as well. He knows that with her help, he can overthrow Snoke. At least that's my intention right now, but just the mere fact that both of them were affected dearly is a great thing. Then we have the scenes with Luke and the flashbacks, and we get all this layered story, and it's just so good. It ends with Yoda coming back and teaching a lesson of they are what uh, we grow beyond or something of that effect. And as a teacher, I know that feeling that, you know, eventually that the kids will graduate and they move on and you know, the next uh, students step up, and it's such it's such a special, special moment. So, uh, sorry that this was a little, uh, you know, during the breakdown that I may have been a little bit more silent, but it was either that I have nothing to say about Canto Bite, or I really wanted to listen to the words between Luke, Yoda, Ray, and Kylo. But it is important to know... Uh, for the end, the final act of this is that this middle act is sort of setting up the final act. Uh, we are an hour and 24 minutes into this story, and it has just gotten juicy in the last half hour of The Last Jedi. So I hope you enjoyed this breakdown. But this has been That's No Moon, It's a Breakdown, Part 3 of The Last Jedi. What are you talking about? In our final, final segment, I would like to bring to you my spoilery review of Episode 1 of Vader Immortal, the VR experience available on Oculus Quest and Oculus Rift S. So I have the Oculus Rift S. I did an unboxing of it, and I live-streamed on Twitch myself playing Vader Immortal, although the mic during uh, the Twitch live-stream wasn't great. I'm working on a fix so I can stream again and play through it. But might I say that the experience of Vader Immortal overall, I would give it like an 8.5 out of 10. The storyline was excellent. The graphics were great. Uh, I did feel like I was really immersed into the Star Wars universe. Uh, you are this this pilot. Uh, you have this droid with you. 
Uh, but somehow you have, uh, I guess, a, some sort of connection to this ancient uh, civilization where Vader is trying to unlock the secrets of something. And I won't get into it because I don't want to ruin any plot lines for you. But obviously you are that connection that he's been looking for. So there are instances of interaction with the world around you. You can freely move, although if I had to ding it, it is the movement of VR. Uh, it's like a teleportation system, so as you use the directional pad, you move around, which is fine, except you know the whole screen has to blank out and come back. Um, it does require a play area of six and a half feet by six and a half feet. My play area was a little smaller, but I didn't find that it hindered the experience. Uh, I know that you know when you have the headset on and you're you're playing through it, you definitely lose <laughs> you know all perception of reality for real. Uh, so what I ended up doing is I put a fan on me on the back end. So, like, say it would hit the back of my head. That way I, I kind of knew what direction I was. As I was moving through the environment, if I got too close to the walls, the guardian would show up, and then I could look down and see where my arrow was pointing. So just two little tips there when you're kind of playing VR. Is you, it is good to have uh, kind of an understanding of where you are at in the world. Um, overall, I think it's like a 30 to 45 minute experience, depending on how good you are. I never felt that I was in danger to die, though. Like, as I was battling some things using a certain weapon, which was, by the way, insanely accurate and intense, uh, I never felt that I was going to die and had to start over. Uh, there was also a limited use of weapons, and that was sort of disappointing, so maybe that will be changed in episode two, but it did cost $10. I did feel that that was justified, and I feel that ILM and the lab behind the experience is worth a look for sure. Uh, I tell you, the first time Vader walks up to you, man, that dude is tall, and it's imposing, and it's very impressive. Uh, voice acting was well done. Again, the environments were aces, and uh, I will certainly be playing it again. So check the stream out on Twitch at MRC Tech for the uh, follow-up review of Vader Immortal Episode 1. Before we get to the discussion question of this episode... As always, I want to give kudos and a shout-out to the We Pod Squad, Greg and Sam of We Podcast and We Know Things, and Ryan of the Ion Ryan Show, coming to you weekly if you are a We Podcast and We Know Things fan, or every other Tuesday if you are a Ion Ryan fan, or the last podcast hosted by yours truly. Follow the shows, subscribe to the social networks. You can find all of us on Instagram at We Podcast and We Know Things or Ion Ryan or MRC Tech Talks, the last podcast. DM us, interact with us, we will get back to you. That's the beautiful part about the We Pod Squad is that we are more than happy to interact with the fans, with the people, and maybe. One day you will be featured on this show, especially if you answer the discussion question. Speaking of, I do have something to think about. 
over the next couple weeks. It has everything to do with the relationship of Kylo Ren and Rey. What do you think of this relationship? Do you think that it has to be emotional? Like, does it have to include romance? Or can it be, like, ambiguous? Right? Do, Do we need a love connection in this story? In the original trilogy, you had Leia and Han, which really didn't come to fruition until, you know, episode five. In the prequels, you had Anakin and Padme, a 10-year difference, by the way. Is it a 10-year difference? Let me think about this. And she's 14, he's 10. No, it's more like a four to five-year difference in age. Uh, 10 years time jump between, you know, uh, episode one and episode two. But he's like 20, and she's 25, 24. And does that relationship makes sense i guess it has to to push the story along for the original trilogy and now in the sequel trilogy you know in episode eight we get a little bit of tension between kylo ren and ray um there was a little bit of a forced kiss between rose and finn but i never really believed in that relationship but i do somewhat see kylo and ray becoming a thing so what say you is Kylo and Rey an item, or is this just a bunch of fluff? Let me know your thoughts. Uh, I will certainly feature your answers on episode five of the podcast. And be on the lookout for some encouraging and exciting news concerning the last podcast moving forward as we take this podcast to the next level. As always, I am your host, Sean. MRC Tech presents The Last Podcast. This has been Episode 4, recorded on July 7th, 2019. I thank you for listening. I thank you for tuning in. And make sure you follow me on all the socials, Facebook, MRC Tech, Instagram, MRC Tech underscore talks underscore the last podcast. Twitter, MRC Tech Talks T L P. Twitch, MRC Tech. Visit my website at www.mrctechllc.com. If you have any tech support needs, just shoot them my way. If you want to be entertained, go on to YouTube, follow MRC Tech, subscribe, hit the bell and enjoy some of the videos I put out there. It has been a pleasure bringing episode four to you. And as we always say in a galaxy far, far away, may the force be with you.